I know you guys have been listening to me a lot in the pulpit at Henson. Appreciate the opportunity and the prayers. Well, on the podcast today, you get me again, and you get to listen to me share a devotional from God's Word in Philippians 4, 4 through 9. Uh, this was a talk that was given to the women of Henson, as well as some other churches for the Real Life Gospel event. Holly Schnur invited me to come speak and give uh, a perspective on anxiety from God's Word. So that's what this is. I uh, hope you're encouraged. Trent Hughes said before I came up here, well, those women knocked it out of the park. Now you just have to run around the bases. And I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. I, I want to thank the panelists. Uh, I'm trying to find them. But once again, for, I see you, Trent, <laughs> uh, for their transparency, their bravery, the way that they loved us tonight by being willing to, to speak of their experience with anxiety and what it looks like for them to walk by faith uh, through that suffering. So I couldn't have been more encouraged. So thank you. Yeah, let's give my hand again. And I was, I was also encouraged uh, by Bobby Joe last week. Um, so I, I feel like there's a lot of crossover to what we're going to consider now in God's word. So we've, we've heard from the expert, Bobby Joe. We've heard from our distinguished panelists. Now we get to hear from God. So we get to hear from God's word. What does God have to say to us in our anxiety? We want to hear from God because he is the Lord of our bodies, of our minds, of our hearts. He's the Lord over science, over the supernatural. He is Lord of all, and he is the the Lord of all comfort. So I previewed for you last week uh, that we were going to be looking at Philippians 4, verses 4 through 9. So feel free to go there now on your phones or in your Bibles. I think you will get more out of this time if you see where I'm coming from in God's Word. So in the next few minutes, uh, we're going to see that God is not just one option among many to get us through anxiety. It's not like uh, we have Prozac, therapist, and then God. And, uh, and by the way, I'm not knocking Prozac and therapy. Uh, helpful. But God has something better for us than merely feeling better. God is not simply a means to our end of getting rid of that anxiety. The God of peace is not here merely like a great therapist in the sky. God has come in the person of his son to move in and make his dwelling with us in our anxiety. Now that may sound aggressive, but what we see according to Philippians 4 is that God is a God of peace. He's a God of peace, a God who guards our hearts and our souls in Christ Jesus from the intruding attacks of anxiety that terrify us, that cause us to despair. And so my hope is that walking away tonight, after you've 
heard from Bobby Joe and the panelists, and as you've talked together at your tables, is that our response to anxiety would flow more out of our experience with God than anxiety itself. So in other words, to address anxiety, we need to deal with God, not just our experience of anxiety. So let's listen to what God has to say in Philippians 4, 4 through 9, and consider how anxiety is an opportunity to know the God of peace in our anxiety. The Apostle Paul writes to the church in Philippi, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence, and if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. Do what you've learned and received and heard from me and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. So Paul wrote this letter from a Roman prison cell. And yet, in this letter, he writes much more about his experience and union with God than he does about his suffering. Paul, you can skip down and read about it later in chapter 4, has learned the secret of contentment because he knows his citizenship is in heaven. And he knows what is true of him, that he is united with Christ. And so Paul, in the midst of his more external suffering, I mean, I'm sure he's suffering internally too, but he is finding his joy, his peace, his confidence, his identity, his future, all in Christ. Suffering can't own Paul because he is guarded in his Savior and Lord. So sisters, our internal suffering doesn't distance us from Christ. In fact, internal suffering, all suffering, is an opportunity to move deeper into the safety and peace that we have with God through Christ. So I want us to consider what it would look like for us to imitate Paul tonight. That's what he calls us to do in verse 9. He lived joyfully and faithfully in light of prison and possible death. And we have all the same resources that the apostle Paul did because the God of peace is with us. That's what he's telling the church in Philippi. So we too can respond in joy and prayer and dwell on what is true and good and beautiful, the God of peace. So briefly, Three God-given responses to anxiety. Rejoice, pray, and dwell. Rejoice, pray, and dwell. Rejoice. Verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. 
The Lord is near. If we're honest, one of the last things that we want when we're feeling anxious is a to-do list. And here, Paul begins with the first of several commands for anxious souls. And the first thing that he calls us to do seems rather impossible. We are commanded to rejoice. You know, before this real-life gospel event, someone submitted the question, how can we change a feeling that we can't help having? How can we change a feeling that we can't help having? It's a great question. Can we help what we feel? Well, the world thinks so. I read in this helpful devotional that you're going to hear about in a few minutes. Forbes magazine, so this is quoting Forbes magazine. It says, whether you occasionally struggle with a victim mentality or have had your fair share of true bad breaks, it's reassuring to remember. Again, this is Forbes magazine. When it comes to your own behavior, you hold all the power and you always have a choice. You always have a choice. I don't think Forbes magazine is an outlier here when it comes to what we hear from the world. The world regularly encourages us to take our feelings and our thoughts and behavior by the hand and not let them control us, right? It's the the message of self-empowerment, personal responsibility. You know, why else would we consider counseling and therapy if we're nothing more than victims to whatever we feel? We believe And we hope that we can do something about the thoughts and the feelings that plague us. I don't think we'd be here if we we just thought that it was fate. And what comes into our minds, we're just helpless to. So that's that's what the world says. You can change. You can do something about it. I think scripture gives us something better than a message of you can do it. You're in control, so you start acting like it. Scripture has better news for us. What does it say in verse four? God commands us to rejoice in him. Did you see that in verse four? Rejoice in the Lord always. Very different than just the power of positive thinking. No, God is encouraging us to entrust our feelings to someone else someone who's outside of ourselves. Rejoice in who he is and how we are found in him. You can read earlier in chapter four that if our names are written in the book of life and then going all the way back to chapter one, he who started a good work in you is faithful to complete it. If our citizenship is in heaven, if we are in Christ Our joy is less dependent on what we feel and more on who we're with. It's who we're with. One of Hinson's elders, David Fisher, talked about the relational nature of joy in one of the Disciple Hinson podcasts. Thank you, loyal listeners. Um, And Oh, by the way, uh, Liz Moody has an excellent episode on OCD that I can't remember, Liz, when we recorded that, maybe a year or two ago, but I'd encourage you to go back and listen to that. But speaking of joy and what it is, because we often think of it as a feeling, it's like kind of like 
uh, an upgrade from happiness, like spiritual happiness. Um, but David talked about joy in a podcast, and he talked about it as a heart moving towards someone, someone else in affection and love, finding comfort and enjoyment in someone else's presence. And the illustration that he gave uh, just stuck with me. Um, he talked about the experience of an infant crying alone in her crib, in her room, feeling alone. And then the mother comes into the room and sees the crying baby. And like instantly, the infant's face like brightens. Maybe, they, maybe she even stops crying for a moment. And the heart of the mother and the child, they're drawn towards one another. And in affection and joy. We're like the baby. And joy is a response to the presence of the Lord who is near. I loved what everybody said on the panel, but it just makes me think of what Trent talked about, how the Lord's return and casting his anxiety into the pit of hell is a hope for him. It's kind of just, this is like, just to geek out for a minute, when it says the Lord is near here in Philippians 4, 5, um, scholars are undecided on whether it's talking about the Lord is near like he's coming again soon or like the, the Lord is near to us spatially. And uh, I read a bunch of different opinions and it's kind of like, I think it's both. I think it's both. The Lord is near to us and we can know joy in him and we can also know joy that our, that our anxiety, that our suffering has an expiration date. So Paul is commanding a relational, not a circumstantial joy. Paul's not merely telling us to trade in our anxious thoughts for happy ones. It's a good trade. He's reminding us of a relational dynamic between us and God that anxiety cannot destroy. So next time, anxiety is rearing its ugly head, drawing you inwards on yourself. Here's an opportunity. This is what God says to us. It's not what we would expect or maybe what we want to hear immediately. He says, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. I'm going to say it again, he says. Rejoice. Rejoice in what is more true of you with him than what you feel. This is what is true. And then in the next verse, Paul tells us to let our graciousness be known to everyone. And again, this is just... He's like doubling down on the relational component of, of the Christian life, even in suffering. Just as joy is a relational response to the Lord, so the character of God's graciousness, his gentleness towards us can flow out in grace and mercy to other people. We, we have been created relational beings. And one of the reasons that we know anxiety and fear is because we are increasingly isolated and lonely. We've all, we've all felt that. You know, our, our modern world, I think, has conspired to keep us from knowing the, the graciousness of Christ demonstrated in Christian fellowship. And I'm convinced that one of the secrets to knowing joy in, in anxiety is to know more deeply and share in the fellowship in Christ that we have with one another in the spirit. So, and this is what Paul says in, in Philippians 2.2. 2, Paul says, make my joy 
complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. He's talking about relationally, like in their actual church congregation. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not to his own interests, but rather to the interests of others. Now, humbling yourself to draw near to someone else, even in your suffering, is one of the ways that we can know joy in suffering. You know, I think sometimes we avoid Christian community because we think, I've tried that and it doesn't work. I was actually maybe even more anxious uh, going to that event or seeking to get together with someone else. Uh, Madeline talked about the experience of social anxiety, but then she shared that by faith, she, she still, she draws near to others. You know, I, I think we all probably are on the spectrum, you know, of, of struggling at times of getting together maybe with other believers or drawing close to one another in fellowship. I don't think Paul is saying that we draw near to one another fundamentally because it works, because it will make us feel better. I don't think that's how it works. When Paul calls us to draw near to one another, we're demonstrating our hope is not in what works, but in the Lord and what he says, and that he knows ultimately what is best for us, better than we know ourselves. And so we can trust him. And it won't, it, those feelings, that suffering may not go away. In fact, somebody may say something, like Holly asked the question, what is something that people have said or done that actually makes your experience of suffering worse? That could happen. How, I mean, all of us have talked to someone who has church hurt. And yet Paul says, let your graciousness be known to all. Draw near to one another. This is one of the ways that we know the joy of the Lord. Anxiety draws us inward and enslaves us to our fears and our worries. The joy of the Lord pulls us out of those deep waters so that we may, maybe not immediately, but know the embrace of the Lord and the embrace of our brothers and sisters. So just remember, in our anxiety, we are that child crying feeling alone in the crib, but the Lord is near. We can even hear his footsteps coming down the hall. He is coming, and we can even know the, the joy of being in him and known by him and loved by him right now, by his spirit as he speaks to us in his word, and we can look around and see we're not alone. We have, we have sisters who are willing to come alongside us and love us imperfectly, and we have that opportunity to do that too. The, the friends that may even be sitting at your table tonight represent God's good gift to you and an opportunity to rejoice. Uh, anxiety is an opportunity to show the graciousness that you've been shown to someone else. So when anxiety brings us to our knees, we rejoice. And speaking of bringing, being brought to our knees, let's consider second how we can pray. 
Philippians 4, 6, and 7, don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You know, this was the, the verse that Rosemary's, uh, I can't remember, therapist, was like, here, here you go, there you go, good to go, you know, and we can tend to do that too. Uh, here's, here's the, here's the band-aid, just say this. 50 times and you'll, you'll, you'll feel fine. Um, and uh, the panelists addressed this question, but I just wanted to, to address this question from the perspective of just looking at this text. Is anxiety a sin? Or how can anxiety be sinful? I'm a little anxious to answer that question. Um, so I wonder if I'm in sin there. No. Uh. So, but what does our, I think, what does our text say? It says, don't worry about anything. Again, Madeline pointed out the kind of the broad use of the term anxious or worry. How does the Bible use that word? What, what, is, what does Paul mean here? Um, the way that the, this word is, is a broad word in the Greek too. It's having your mind and your heart kind of torn uh, between two worlds. It's, it's, uh, it's that diversion of your mind so preoccupied with the horizontal. So this is how the Bible talks about worry or anxiety. We're so occupied with what's going on here in the horizontal and what we can see and what we fear in the future that we forget the vertical. Christian counselor and pastor Deepak Reju, the editor of this series, says anxiety is first a problem with God. And I think that's true even in, I couldn't agree more with, Mad with what Madeline said, in our weakness, in our woundedness, in our wickedness. We tend to think, oh, I, I'm only having a problem with the Lord if it's wickedness. And yes, anxiety often manifests itself because of lack of sleep, exercise, a lack of exercise or a poor diet. It's, it's a complex struggle in a complex world with complex bodies and relationships. We often aren't even aware of why we're anxious when we're anxious, right? But God is speaking to us in Philippians 4, 6, and he tells us one thing to do when we are anxious, and it's to pray with thanksgiving to him. So I think that's why we're on solid ground to say that anxiety is related at least to our relationship with the Lord. So what does your worry say about how you view God? Take a minute. What does your worry say about how you view God? And now consider the second part of the verse. What does prayer with thanksgiving say about how you view God? Our worry tends to tell us lies about God. God isn't good. He isn't strong 
enough to fix this. He isn't near. Maybe he's angry at us, disappointed, punishing us, or maybe worst of all, he doesn't care. He's indifferent. You know, as our lives and our emotions spiral out of control, we wonder, where's God? Does he even care? We, we become worried that he doesn't seem to care when our life doesn't go according to our plan. That's sometimes what our worry can tell us about how we view God. But prayer with thanksgiving tells a different story. Not that we, oh, you're a good Christian. You always pray when you're anxious. You are so holy. No, it's in our worry, we turn to the one who is near, who can help. I think sometimes we're taken in by two wrong views of prayer. So we see, okay, when I'm, when I'm worried, I should pray. And we either think of prayer, often how the world thinks of it, is practice prayer and meditation. It will, it's like a mental health exercise. It will, it's a technique fundamentally, to calm and recenter yourself. The world doesn't have any problem with prayer because that's how they think of it. Or in the church, we can tend to, to think of prayer as simply a spiritual discipline that we always feel guilty and ashamed for not doing more of, right? Oh, yeah, I know I should do that more. I know that's the secret. Paul says it. But I think we're missing, again, the relational component. Prayer is simply an expression of trust in God. We go to him in everything with thanksgiving because he hears us. He knows us. He made us. He loves us. He loves to respond to those who come to him in faith. Now, there's so, there's so many texts that we could go to in scripture that demonstrates what kind of father we have who loves to hear from his children. And when we respond this way, verse 7, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Here we see that the Lord is more than a divine hand holder. I mean, that would be great. The one who made the universe with you, holding your hand, going with you through those trials. But here he's, and he's, he's speaking to a Roman colony, a church in a Roman colony that had a had a garrison, so they would have been familiar with this guarding uh, metaphor. Christ guards our minds and hearts from the worry and the doubts that plague our souls. When we go to him and trust, he does something about it. He helps us. He doesn't just make us feel better. He does something better than that. He guards our minds and our hearts in his son. You know, I don't, just to come back to the question that I raised in case you're still wondering what I think about, is anxiety sinful? I don't really think it's going to be helpful to try to answer that question every time you're feeling anxious, seeking to determine when our anxiety is sinful and when it's okay. The scriptures don't seem that concerned to address that. The scriptures don't say, you know, okay, we all struggle with anxiety and worry, that's okay, you're not a bad person. You know, that, that's kind of sometimes I think the message that we get 
in the midst of anxiety. But the Bible has a different message. The Bible has a different message than just being okay with who you are today. It tells us, don't worry about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. It's saying, don't look in, but look up in your anxiety. You know, those who respond in faith as the worries swirl all around them will know an experience of the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. It won't always feel like you're knowing that experience, but it is true. It's more true than what we feel. Is this guarding that Christ offers to those who come to him in faith. So, again, the world is going to offer a lot of fancy band-aids to our anxiety problem. And many of them will be helpful. But foundationally, Jesus offers to carry us in our anxiety, wounds and all, to a new home, a new life, a new relationship with him, a relationship of peace. This is a God who guards our hearts and our minds as we respond to his nearness in thanksgiving. Again, joy in thanksgiving, not what we usually, how we can naturally respond in times of anxiety and trouble. Now, Jesus said to his disciples before he went to the cross, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Don't let your heart be troubled or fearful. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Third and finally, let's consider how we should dwell. Verse 8, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence and if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. Do what you have learned and received from me, received and heard from me and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. So let's just review. Paul has told us when we're anxious, we should rejoice. He told us two times. He told us, let our graciousness be known to all. He told us to not worry, but to pray with thanksgiving. And then here in verse 8 and 9, he gives us six things to dwell on. You know, are you feeling overwhelmed? God tends to do that to us. He tends to overwhelm us with what he requires, but then provide more than enough to our cup overflowing with provision. I think the point, though, is what we see, what kind of ties this passage together from verse 4 to verse 9 is what we see at the beginning of verse 7 and at the end of verse 9. This is what brings the takeaway home. Verse 7, the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Verse 9, the God of peace will be with you. Because of who is guarding our hearts and minds, because of who is with you, we dwell on him. All these six things, truth, beauty, loveliness, this is what he's like. So as we dwell on what he is like, we know his presence. How do we do that practically? I, I, love, I love, again, how Rosemary said that this is, a, this is a passage where when she has intrusive thoughts, when she's struggling, she calls to mind this scripture. And we can do that for one another. We can speak God's truth and compassion and love into one another's hearts and lives. You can, you can dwell on these things by literally using the Dwell Bible app. Some of you may know that. We dwell on listening to God, to drawing near to him, 
dwelling on what is encouraging, what is lovely in our lives and the lives of others around you. I think, I don't know when this happened, maybe it's always been true of Christians, but sometimes Christians can have a pretty pessimistic view, I think, of things, of the world in particular, that we, you know, to use an old phrase, like we think that the world is going to hell in a handbasket. I mean, I guess there's, there's truth to that. But then, then it colors how we see life, where like everything is hard and discouraging and depressing and dark. Um, but when we're doing that, are we dwelling in thanksgiving on all the beauty and the goodness that God is up to in the world? I think this is a, this is a good opportunity for those of us who, who live in Portland or drive through Portland um, you know, we're all talking about how, how bad Portland has gotten, how dark and dangerous and broken our city is. And I don't disagree. It's disheartening. Many of the things that are happening in our city are cause for great concern. It's still a beautiful city. Mount Hood rising above the city on a clear day. I know we haven't seen one of those for a while. You know, you have the Willamette and the Columbia Rivers cutting through the middle of the city. You have the rain that we're so sick of, but makes everything so green and the plant life flourish. You have trees, dug, dug firs and pine trees and even sequoias reaching for the skies. And yet, we focus on all that is broken sometimes. We, we see human beings who we know are made in God's image, enslaved to to drugs, and how we see all the mental health challenges in our world, we see the homelessness, and we can despair. We can think that everything is just hard. Maybe we look at our, our own lives, our families, our work, just everything is hard. And yet, God's word calls us to dwell on what is true, what is good, There is something to seeing the glass half full instead of half empty. Uh, but I think it's more than a mindset. It's imitating people like Paul, who are humble, who are godly, who are joyful, who are prayerful. Paul could have been very fo been focused on all his sufferings. He, he lists them um, I think it's in 2 Corinthians. He, and even here, he could have talked about the cold, damp prison and how he was maybe awaiting his death and he had so much more ministry that he wanted to do. But instead, in this letter, it's bursting with joy. It's bursting with encouragement to this church that was feeling discouraged. They thought their friend Epaphroditus had died. He had gotten very sick. They were saddened by Paul's imprisonment. Uh, imprisonment at that time was a real social stigma. And yet, they're rejoicing. How can we see our world and our lives through redemptive eyes like this? Rather than eyes cast downward with all our failures and the brokenness all around us. Henson, let's be a church that affirms, let's be an affirming church that affirms what is good and true and beautiful. And that will mean affirming one another as we see graciousness, as we saw in verse 5, being known to everyone. Well, finally, in verse 9, Paul closes by saying that if you imitate 
me in these ways, the God of peace will be with you. In other words, for those who respond in anxiety, uh, to, to anxiety and faith, they're going to experience God's peace with them. And let's conclude, who gets to experience God's peace? Who gets to know that peace? Well, it's those whom Christ is their peace. Those whom God has made peace with in his son, those who are in the Lord Jesus Christ, who Jesus Christ came to be our, our peace. Romans 5.1 says, those who have been justified by faith have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Last quote from this devotional. I'm at like day 20. It's very helpful. I think you'll be encouraged. If you are not at peace with God, you will never be able to experience the peace of God. If you are not at peace with God in the gospel, you will never be able to experience the peace of God. And maybe that experience of the peace of God is not all that we would hope and want in this life. But we continue to dwell on what is true. We continue to remind one another that God is with us. All our sin, all our suffering was placed on Christ so that we could be forgiven and know the hope of a new identity and a new master. Anxiety may feel like your master today, but praise God that those who are in Christ Jesus, there is a better Lord and King who overcomes that. There is a peace that the world cannot provide. The answer to our anxiety is so much better than expected. It's better than no more anxiety right now, believe it or not. Anxiety has an answer, and his name is Jesus. And he is with you. He's the God of peace. He has come to walk with you through this valley and take you home. So anxiety can't hurt you, for God is with you. So dwell on the one who came to dwell with you so that you could know his peace. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can go to you because you are near and you promise to help us. Lord, we thank you that we can cast all our anxieties on you because you care for us like a good father. And you have proven that in your son. Lord, we thank you for the boldness of, of the panelists today and how they share their, their journey of walking by faith in you. We pray that you would bless them, give them rest. Uh, Lord, we pray for all of us that we would walk in your peace with you. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.